Good morning, uh, everybody. My name is Mitch and uh, I'm alcoholic. And um, today when I say that, I, I actually know what that means. Um, you know, I grew up like uh, uh, my um, um, cousin said in, in New York, in, in Queens in particular, and uh, I used to work in Manhattan and I used to um, pass uh, what they call the Bowery downtown. And I used to uh, see these, uh, what I considered to be a bum, you know, um, hanging out on this, on this strip and, uh, you know, passing a bottle and kicking each other and spitting at each other and cursing at each other. Some of them couldn't even get up off the floor to defend themselves and, um, dirty and, you know, um, evidently homeless and, and, uh, without any means of support. So um, that was my uh, first impression of what a, an alcoholic was. And uh, that, that created this image in my head uh, um, for a long time. And, um, you know, I grew up drinking and, and smoking pot and doing various drugs with my friends, you know, as we went through high school and, you know, we had a great time and uh, a lot of fun and opened up the door to dating and women and all kinds of crazy craziness. Um, but as I started to uh, get older and my friends as well, um, certain responsibilities were taken on by my friends and me too, uh, to an extent, you know, uh, uh, girlfriends became wives and uh, jobs became careers. And um, I'd still, you know, be getting together with them, but I noticed that they weren't, uh, they weren't hanging out like I was hanging out. And we had always drank the same and partied the same and threw up and did it again the next day. But I started to notice that they were put, willing to put down the drink in order to go home and do something that was important to them. So if they had a sufficient reason for leaving that that night or whatever at early on at eight or nine o'clock or at six o'clock or we had gotten together it started to turn out to be getting together for about an hour maybe uh maybe an hour and a half and um you know they would leave <clears throat> and uh at that point i was uh you know <laughs> i was just getting started and uh my night would begin to unfold um, it never occurred to me, uh, that I was, uh, actually sick. You know, these were choices I thought I was making in my own head. You know, I feel like another drink, you know, and, um, that became a lifestyle for me. Or uh, so I, so I, uh, romanced it that way, I guess. And um, I remember I, I got a job in the city and I had a, a, a boss 
And he used to um, take me to this bar in the morning. They have these Blarney stones and it would be like every seat would be taken in a, in a, you know, a, a, you know, 70 or 80 foot bar, you know, all, all seats were taken. This is eight in the morning. And we would go in there and this guy would hammer down like 10, 10 screwdrivers within like, you know, <laughs> 15 minutes. And I'd be looking at him and looking, you know, looking around that bar and I'd be looking and saying, Jesus Christ, you know, how can he, how can he do that? Because at that point, uh, I had never picked up a drink in the morning in my life. You know, we'd have the night, you know, the night would end. I'd get up in the morning and I'd shake it off. I guess I had the, um, <laughs> I had youth on my side and uh, I would, uh, you know, go about my business for the day. And, um, you know, whether that included uh, uh, working or, or getting together with people, uh, whatever included, I was able to do all these things um, despite the night I had. Once in a while, uh, you know, I just wouldn't be able to get out of bed, you know, that uh, <laughs> I would pick my head up off the pillow and I'd say, all right, that ain't, that ain't happening. But... Um, like I said, it never occurred to me, not once, that I was actually mentally or bodily ill. And that's very important for me to put out there, especially if you're new to AA. Because I kept thinking that it was just a choice I was making. And my, uh, my choice was my decision. And, and who was anyone to say you know, otherwise. Well, actually what happened was my second wife decided to say otherwise. <laughs> and she actually said to me, uh, you know, yeah, you have a drinking problem. Now I had always liked the idea of the lifestyle, you know, I'd always uh, identified as an alcoholic kind of gave me an identity. And I, and to me, that was, you know, that was okay. You know, I was, uh, you know, the guy with a drink in his hand, you know, that was okay because I'd seemed to be doing just fine in life. You know, I was moving along. I mean, granted, there were a lot of things now when I look back, you know, uh, that I gave away, but I seemed to always fall the right way, you know, and I uh, always had a job and I always had a girlfriend and, uh, and these, I guess, were the things, you know, these material needs and the, the, what do they call it? The instinct for social sex and uh, society, whatever, you know, and uh, the financial and uh, emotional security. I seem to have those bases covered. And these were the things that, you know, I thought life was about. This was my only and sole aim in life other than, other than drinking. But um, when my second wife brought that up to me, I heard it in a different way than I had ever heard it before. And I actually turned to her and said, I don't have a problem drinking. You're the one with the problem. You can't drink. And today, when I think about what I said, I think about how, how right she was and how wrong I was. She would have a drink and a half or two drinks, and that would be it. And in my opinion, that's the person that had the drinking problem. <laughs> it 
It's almost funny when I when I think about that today, because I realized and recognize today that she has the normal reaction to alcohol. And I'm the one with the abnormal reaction to alcohol, both mentally and physically. About six months into the marriage, I guess I'm trying to remember what propelled me to go to a meeting, but I'm thinking that it was her insistence uh, that finally pushed me to go to a meeting. And I went to a 6 a.m. meeting over in uh, Bay Shore, which is out on the island where, uh, where we had uh, bought a house. And um, I remember walking into the meeting and, uh, and I heard, bless this, God, that, grateful, something else. And it all sounded like God, God, God. And it was three people, I'll never forget, in a row, like across from me that, that shared. And it, I, all I heard was God. I got to be honest with you. I really didn't hear anything else. I just heard God. And um, I literally ran out of that room, uh, almost shaking, uh, running out of that room shaking. And, and actually saying that the, the words leaving my lips is it's a cult. It's a cult. And of course, I, I went right to, you know, I went right to the bar because that was, you know, where I always went. You know, to me, that was um, that that was my higher power. Unknowingly to me. And there might have been a time back in the when I first started drinking that I might have been able to put it down. But by this point, I think I crossed over into a, a different a different kind of drinking, which they call an alcoholic, which I identify with today. And uh, once I crossed that line, there was there was no way of going back. Um, I know this now from my own experience because I tried on my own power to stop. And no matter how many promises I made and no matter how many times I tried, I was never able to accomplish that on my own. And eventually, uh, my wife and I came to uh, an understanding that I was no longer wanted in the home. And um, I say that like that, uh, more to the point would be that she asked me to stay out one night because I was coming home and it was very late and I, the locks were changed by the week, uh, a week following and a month later, I said to her, uh, either I come home or, you know, I get an apartment. So I got an apartment because she was not ready to have me come home. And um, God bless her. God bless her. I continued thinking that now with my wife out of the picture, 
I would be able to control my drinking and my subsequent drugging uh, because I would have to now have to not work around the hours of, of that, the ones that my life had put in the way. <laughs> the only thing I had to worry about now was making it to work. Well, what I found out was this disease is a progressive disease. And as the years went on, my control became less and less. And as time went on, even that Sunday that I used to try to stay clean in order to see my daughter and start off my work week, went to uh went into the into the alcoholism uh uh madness so i couldn't even stay sober anymore for a day i barely was making it to work uh maybe three sometimes four days a week but i would go in for an overtime and grab some money that way and then check out early you know because i couldn't hang around long enough to actually finish the job was usually what happened. I would have all intentions of hanging around. I would bring my bottle with me and we were drinking beers in the truck and you would think this would do it. But at some point during the night, I would have to leave because that wasn't enough for me now to just be drinking in the truck. I needed to be somewhere else to do some of the other things that I wanted to do in the way I wanted to do them. And I knew I would not be able to do that in a truck full of working men that were interested in, in the overtime and making money. My interest now was not towards making money. My main interest was surviving long enough and having enough money in my pocket to get drunk and to get high. I never knew where the drink was going to take me. I thought it was a lifestyle choice. I couldn't have been more wrong. In fact, it was <laughs> a lifestyle of no choice. I went into the rooms. I would get six months of sobriety. And I would make a left instead of a right one day. It was as simple as that. I mistook the fellowship as the program of recovery. I never heard the message that was being carried in the room. I never saw that there was a 12-step program. It never occurred to me that I wasn't working a program of recovery, that I was simply sitting in an AA room and sharing and going home and thinking, I'm sober and I'm in AA.
Years went by. Finally, and I thank God for this. I, I came to an impasse. And I started to look at dying as a solution to this problem. Because I can no longer live another day the way I was going. And there was seemed to be no other way out than to do it again the next day. And I remember the moment when I sat on my couch and I had woken up after like three hours of just another night. Now, mind you, I had been to jails. I had been to the rehabs. I had been to the outpatients. And none of these things gave me the, the gift I needed, which at this stage I know was divine intervention. A word I probably would have never used if I had never gotten what I have today. And I had this divine intervention and I had this this face and this feeling of utter despair, a place I had never seen before in my entire life. And I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I knew where I was going. And for the third time, I went back into the rooms of AA. And this time I didn't have a plan. I wasn't planning to go to a meeting every day and then maybe party on my weekends. You know, I didn't have a plan anymore. I was, I was powerless and I, I knew it and I was hopeless and I knew it. And I sat in that room for the third time. And again, I did exactly what I did the first two times. I shared and I went to meetings and I didn't pick up. But thank God, somebody approached me in the room and said, I have somebody. And I was sitting there about two and a half months. And I got to be honest with you, I thought I was doing fine. But I had thought I was doing fine before, too twice before, he suggested that he had a friend that could take me through this 12-step program of recovery which I didn't even know existed. And I gotta tell you that my first reaction was actually no, thank you. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> and I don't know what changed my mind. It wasn't anything he said, or it wasn't anything he did. But I had the number, and I had the address. And for whatever reason, I called the gentleman and he asked me to show up on Saturday night. So I went to meet a man I had never met 
and to a place I had never been. And I walked downstairs into his little basement apartment and introduced myself and sat down. And he started reading to me from what I now know is finally named our big book. And I'm going to tell you that he would talk of God and he talked about things like personality change. And I got to tell you something. I did not understand what he was talking about. And when he said God, I would almost cringe every time I heard him talk about God. But he didn't rant and rave. And he didn't preach. All he did was simply lay out the spiritual program of action as outlined in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there was something about his demeanor that made me keep coming back. On the third trip back, I remember leaving and thinking to myself, I'm doing something good here, and I'm doing something right. And I hadn't felt that way in a very long time. And I think right there, it started going from my head to my heart. And I didn't recognize that till recently. But I think it was right there. It started to make that transition from the head to the heart. And I went back for the fourth session. And he outlined uh, with some uh, sheets that he used that were directly relatable to the fourth step in the in the book and um he told me to you know he he read to me and he said if i had any questions to call him and basically he said all the answers were right in the book if you're looking for the instructions and he actually had them kind of highlighted um on the top of these pages which were uh these four column inventory So I took the sheets home and I had had enough already for that night. And I remember turning them over on my desk and there they sat. <laughs> there they sat. And a week had gone by and Saturday night was coming and I'm thinking, I never picked them up. And I never filled them out. And he got in touch with me and he had to cancel. And I can't remember the reason why it's not important. But for whatever reason, something had come up. And he said, can we just, you know, meet next Saturday? I said, of course. So by the following week, I think it was a Monday or a Tuesday. I picked up those sheets and turned them over. And to the best of my ability, and wholeheartedly, 
I did what I thought was required in this part of the process. I came back. I chose somebody to do a fifth step with. It wasn't him. I needed somebody who understood more about the drugs that were in my life as well as the alcohol. And he was not that alcohol isn't a drug, but I knew he would not be able to relate to the drug. So I picked somebody who uh, my friend Bob knows called Joe by the door. And he had a similar background to mine as far as that type of history. And all I'm gonna say to you is that I had a very strong fifth step experience. And what I mean when I say that, I had a spiritual experience, a very sudden, overwhelming conviction of the presence of God and a rearrangement of everything I thought I knew and humanity in all its totality. And that happened within moments, somewhere between that fifth step and before I went to go back to my sponsor for the sixth step. I can't recall exactly where it was, but it was in those few days, somewhere between those two steps. And it was so powerful. And the reality of it was so clear. It was like nothing I had ever experienced before in my entire life. And I knew for the first time in my life that there was a God. And I can't understand for the life of me why I was gifted with that sudden spiritual experience, but I do know how it works. And it changed my life from that moment on. And as far as drinking was concerned, after that seemed so petty and so ridiculous that the obsession was lifted on the spot. This is the message that is carried in the room that I couldn't hear until I was ready to hear it. I had to be desperate enough where you could have knocked me over with a feather in order for this process, in order for me to be willing to listen to a process, especially one that had the word God in it. Understanding came later. It was not important to a spiritual experience. I'm going to tell you that from my own experience. Now, I had that experience. I know other people have it. It's very unique to each person. And they have it in many different ways 
And I also understand today there's many different ways to do a fourth step. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, blind to these things. And I understand some people have a spiritual experience and awakening, uh, you know, on a, uh, of their own, you know, own way and over a longer period of time. I don't believe it really makes a difference how it happens, only that it happens. And it happened for me while working these steps. And once I had that change of heart, I was no longer afraid and I was willing to do whatever this program laid out in front of me. And I've been trying, and I say the word trying, to do that on a daily basis to the best of my ability since that moment on. And I know I fall short, but by the grace of God, I have not been picked up a drink since. Thanks for letting me share.